Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. What's inside that church? What happens to those people? For today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, I'm joined by a returning friend of the show, Max, to chat about Julius Avery's World War II Nazi zombie cocktail, Overlord, which is currently streaming on Prime Video and Hulu. On the eve of the D-Day invasion, a group of American paratroopers are dropped behind enemy lines to destroy a Nazi radio transmitter. However, the paratroopers soon uncover the dastardly and otherworldly human experiments that the Nazis are conducting, which could turn the tide of the war. So, without further ado, here's our discussion on Overlord. Max, welcome back to the show, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, how are you doing? Not too bad. I'm excited to talk Overlord with you, uh, a film that I'm interested to hear what you think because this was a first-time watch for you. Um, I've seen this now a couple of times, and it's a film that took a while to grow on me, so I'm really curious to hear how your first uh, viewing of it went. Right. Uh, I, you know, I liked it, and it was. It, I guess it was kind of different from some of the other movies that we talked about because... Some of the other movies kind of were analogous, you know, had like a, a deeper meaning or like, you know, an analogy for a larger societal message. But this was like really on the nose. Like it was a really, you know, what I would call like a, a day off movie or a hangover movie. Um, not like the movie, The Hangover, but it's a movie you can watch and it's not great. It's not terrible. You can kind of float in and out of it and you don't really miss anything. But I feel like it was done well enough to hold your attention. You know, going through it, my expectation wasn't huge. I didn't expect to like walk away and, you know, once the movie was over, have to like kind of sit on my couch and unpack what I just watched, you know, like it was, that was, you know, it was entertaining. I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that initially you can't not really be entertained with it. But again, like you said, it's kind of like this just kind of you sit back and you enjoy it for the sort of popcorn movie that it is. Mm. And I don't know about your expectations for the movie, but I remember I saw it in the theater with uh, actually our mutual friend, Berto. And um, I remember walking away being a little disappointed just based off of like my preconceived notions from like the trailers, right? Cause the trailers, I don't know if you saw them back in the day before this came out, but they were very much hyping up the sort of like horror angle of it and like the Nazi zombie premise. And so when I actually saw the movie, I was surprised that it actually does a lot more than just that. And if anything, it doesn't necessarily like lean into the Nazi zombie part as much as maybe as it could. Like it's such a sort of like an interesting cocktail of being like a World War II action movie and a competent one, but then also the Nazi zombie angle. So I'm curious how you think they kind of blend action and horror together. How do you think they... uh, made out with that i would say it's more of an action movie than a horror movie there was they did touch upon some horror aspects 
definitely you know gore but you really didn't get much of the zombies until what the last 20 minutes last half hour and they were more i would even say they're zombies more than mutants or something you know like Mm -hmm. more you know if it was a instead of saying zombies if they went more for like the frankenstein you know the frankenstein path then i think that would have been more believable but when they just said zombies yeah they brought people back to life but it was more of a they pulled dead bodies and they resuscitated them instead of you know resurrecting corpses you know it it, i felt it was a little different um and it was more action than horror i would say yeah and i think that that is probably by design that it's more action than horror just because like jj abrams is involved it has this sort of big um production budget on it it feels kind of mass made for the mass market but there still is that kind of strange and unique horror aspect to it but i think that it's very purposeful that the they sort of put all of the horror stuff into the back end of the film right so kind of like audiences can get into the movie a little easier maybe like more general audiences in that it opens up just like a world war ii epic right you kind of have the 101st airborne that are dropping behind enemy lines on the uh the eve of d-day and I think that element is really, really good. It, I don't think it's disparaging to say that this is more action than horror in a lot of ways, because the action I think is so well done. Like that first drop down into France scene when their ship is getting shot to shit, and then mm-hmm. they have to jump out in the middle while the ship is like basically blowing up in midair. Like that's such a very common sort of scene to play out in a World War II movie, right? I mean, how many times have you seen that uh, yeah. in World War II movies? But I feel like it's executed on in such a way that is a lot more competent and it just it feels very heightened in a way that I think it's excusable that this might be sort of traditional action moments or beats for a World War II movie and yet it's just executed on in a way that I think is really, really phenomenal that um, it's cognizant of that, right? It's not really like setting out to redefine anything, um, which I think is telling that that's how they open the film. Right. it stayed it stayed in its lane you know it was a world war ii movie with this kind of sci-fi aspect to it and uh you mentioned that opening scene uh, of how i think they were he did a really good job um showing how disorienting it was to jump out of a plane in the middle of a dogfight because I mean, it was a close-up shot, you know, it was a kind of a body shot of, of the main character and it was spinning and whirling and, and explosions in his, the whole time, you know, the two and a half, three minutes, it was it was dizzying and then, you know, you felt kind of disoriented when he got into, hit the water and kind of that um, that feeling of panic as he, as he got there. And I thought that was really well done. I think that was unique. It was, like you said, it wasn't a, a it was a typical scene, but it was done, I think, in a very more creative way. Yeah, definitely. And I think that they even do that with sort of establishing the characters, right? Every single character that we meet on that uh, drop plane is a character that you've seen in how many countless World War II right. movies, right? You've right. got the one guy that speaks German. You've got the, the shit talker. You've got the sort of like mysterious sergeant who punched the captain, supposedly. Yeah. And then you have, of course, like the newbie that gets hazed. All of these are very familiar things, and I think that they're tropes that 
lesser World War II movies would probably get ripped for. And it's like, oh, these aren't very creative. But I feel like the entire film as a whole is really constructed with presenting this sort of like very familiar opening or very familiar uh, landscape for a World War II movie. And then, of course, the punchline is, is, oh, the Nazis are uh, creating zombies, essentially. And it's kind of like it's all done in basically like tongue in cheek to a certain extent that I think really excuses this idea that like, well, we've seen all of these sort of variables before, but again, like they're executed on in a way that I think is of a caliber that maybe a lesser World War II movie wouldn't necessarily have. It would be almost like a worse version of this. Right. Um, yeah, I think it was, I don't know, for lack of a better term, self-aware of when I was watching it at no point did I think that this was going to be like a serious war movie or a serious horror movie, like some other, um, like some other war movies that that's, it's going to be serious. Like this is going to be a serious action, historically accurate movie. Um, and these tropes kind of are, they become kind of silly when you're looking at a serious film, but this, you know, from the, from the onset, you know, they're on the plane, you have one, yeah, like you said, the, the stereotypical East Coast, uh, you know, one guy just sitting there running his mouth and he has some, you know, East Coast accent, New York or Boston, whatever, you know, whatever, pick one. And um, yeah, I, I just thought it was really entertaining. And, uh, but, and, and familiar as well, having the, you know, even even the, the, the Nazi scientist looked like every single Nazi <laughs> scientist yeah. in every single movie. And it was comfortable, I guess. It was, a, it was a pretty comfortable movie from start to finish. Yeah, and I think that what really surprises me the most about Overlord and on every single rewatch is that you go from these kind of just very familiar tropes, but then again and again, I'm really impressed with just the quality of the execution on a lot of the different sort of, again, very traditional scenes that uh, Julius Avery really does a fantastic job of kind of just heightening everything, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed a lot of the shootouts in the film, which are more strictly the World War II action type scenes that we've probably seen before, but I feel like everything is more impactful than it normally feels. And it just, everything has a certain sort of like pulpy, uh, exaggerated angle to it, right? I mean, there's lots of sort of little moments that it's not like, quote unquote, historically accurate or whatever. And the movie doesn't set out to be that, obviously, in terms of how it evolves. And I think that comes across in the action in a way that makes it more fun that like fun than if you're watching Saving Private Ryan or something like that, right? I mean, you see that beach scene every single time in Saving Private Ryan, and it's like, so grueling and disturbing and fucked up. But then when you're watching these Nazis get shot to pieces in this, it's like, it feels very sort of just exaggerated where it's not like people are getting shot. Their bodies are basically like exploding in gunfire and things like that. It's it, it walks that line of almost absurdity where like it's, it's entertaining, but it's not like some out of pocket, um, people are getting you, you see someone's head gets blown up you know like you see the headshots and you know you see the kind of these your main characters dodging way more bullets than they should you know and the no-name nazi soldiers pretty much missing every shot and 
is that accurate? Of course not. These guys would be would have been dead three and a half hours ago, you know. But uh, it's still, um, it's just absurd enough to be entertaining, and it's also just absurd enough where it's not unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. it never becomes really slapsticky, but you get these kind of heightened action moments where like Wyatt Russell's character is like blind firing around corners or one of the guys is uh, shooting machine gunners that are like a football field away with a handgun while he couldn't hit them with a rifle and stuff like that. But I feel that, again, it's such a heightened and exaggerated uh, form of violence that it's just fun through and through. And it doesn't, obviously, there are, they try to kind of craft this emotional weight between the characters, which I don't necessarily think is all that strong, but the film itself is like, hey, we're going to go to this ridiculous place where we're going to have zombies in the film, right? And so it's like, rather than try to give you a serious World War II film with Nazi zombies in it, they just kind of go for this almost like video gamey feel kind of that I think is a tone that had they not tried to strike that tone, like you said, they want to not be too absurdist, but at the same time, they realize like, we can't try to have this have the emotional stakes of a Saving Private Ryan or a Fury or uh, whatever. And so I think that tone is really consistent throughout the movie. And if anything, like in getting to revisit the movie and realizing what it's going for, I think it's just a really um, creative blending of the two uh, sort of genres. And it makes for a fun watch every time for me. I was going to say also, and just something that really stands out to me that I'm curious if it stood out to you is sort of just like the sound design. I don't know about you, but like I got to see this in the theater uh, the first time. And I just remember being so taken by just like the authenticity of how everything sounds. And it's, I mean, it's, that was in a theater setting, but even at home when I was watching it the other night before talking to you, I just feel like there's such a heightened sense of awareness of what's happening, whether it be like a shootout or just like being in that dingy Nazi lab and hearing the roars from all the test subjects and stuff. I felt like that kind of just really heightens every instance that really needs it. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. And and you always have just this lingering, lingering growl of, you know, a growl over here, a scream over there, you know, or just weird squishing noises or whatever else is going on. You know, like it's, I think that the audio quality, even with the, um, when they go up to the house, um, the aunt, you know, hearing the aunt when they first walk in and just kind of hearing her constantly, and, but not, so loud that it it overtakes the the scene where you know it's like oh how can you ignore that like why isn't anyone going to look there but it's kind of like you know she's coughing and groaning what's wrong with her oh she's sick is she but you know there's still that kind of mystery as a viewer you know she's not sick you know there's you know whole another thing going on but um it's still subtle enough I, th I think throughout the whole movie, um, maybe except for the, the the Nazi captain who you know shoots himself up, I think they do a good job with their subtlety, and that you know it's not you know the Nazi soldiers they're of course bad and like the everything is done very subtly but also kind of you know ridiculous yeah and i think that the movie does a great job of sort of transitioning from being just a straight up world war ii action epic into the horror elements right it doesn't start right away and 
I remember initially thinking that that transition was pretty slow, but it's something that I think I've appreciated more every time I watch it. This idea that it's not just Nazi zombies from the jump, right? And I think that that's important in kind of establishing that tone that we keep coming back to and that sort of balance between it being a heightened form of uh, entertaining and being sort of just like over the top, but never being slapsticky to the point where you're just like, okay, this is just completely ridiculous. Um, and I think that that's, that's pretty rare because I know a lot of act, like movies that I've seen that try to blend horror with action, it's usually one more than the other. And I, while I do think that Overlord is probably more action than horror, its handling of the horror is still always present. Like there's little inklings of it early on, right? When the troops first land uh, behind enemy lines and they find that like weird pile of bones and skulls that are in the woods and they're trying to figure out what it is because it's creepy as shit. And then they find the aunt who's like breathing uh, very strangely and she's like, yeah, she's sick. And of course the audience knows that she's not sick or she's fully turned yet. But I think that the film does a good job of introducing the horror elements enough early on, even if it doesn't totally lean into it, that by the time it explodes into the full-on zombies at the end of the film, it doesn't, not that it was ever going to be a surprise, but it doesn't kind of just feel like they're dropping the uh, supernatural aspect in at the last moment kind of thing. Right. Um, I think we've, uh, we've discussed kind of the, some of the directors who throw the horror aspect in your face, like really aggressively early on in the movie um, and how that's kind of off-putting or desensitizes the audience to this horror aspect. And the little, it's, you know, the, it goes from an action movie to kind of like a mystery, like what's kind of going on. And, and it's this guy going through and figuring out and then, of course, he walks in and he sees these dismembered bodies. He sees that woman's head. They've managed to keep her alive, but, like, it's just her and her spine or something, you know? And that's – it's gruesome, but I don't know if it's the, the lighting work they do um, or, you know, being able to set the scene or set the tone of this, the atmosphere, but it's never, like, dingy and oppressive. There's still this kind of light – like you said, a video game almost air to it. Um, and, you know, that transition into the horror aspect where they're, um, what's his name? The guy who got shot by the, in the attic. And then, when uh, they, Waffner. First, well, yeah, when their first experience of the serum. Um, oh, that was Chase, the Chase. paratrooper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that, that first experience is the horror i think that's our first real taste of the, the the horror the magnitude of what they're dealing with mm -hmm. and i think that that sort of is a very interesting introduction to the most overt horror instance up until that moment right i think that it's cool that we get to see these sort of like examples when um private voice is like exploring that nazi lab and we're seeing the severed head we're getting a literal example of like the doctor applies it to a corpse and then it revises, um, regenerates and then they kind of like put it in a locker, uh, which is a terrifying concept of being locked alive in one of those. But um, and then we kind of see like Chase slowly begin to turn and you just assume that he's just going to start freaking out and punching people. And then his neck just like completely snaps back like that's such a out of left field moment that is not expected. And so I think that that is probably the most pivotal moment in the film that really like 
earns the horror element of the film in that, like, it's not just a zombie. They keep kind of evolving on the ways in which it's presented. And that actually makes, like, that's actually a scary instance because you're like, what the hell's happening? And even if we never necessarily get another cool um, sort of defying the odds or straying from kind of just what you expect of a zombie, right? I mean, a majority of the other ones, it's like they're kind of just running around and screaming and trying to bite people or uh, punch people and whatnot. But I feel like that instance with Chase, where it's so unexpected, it almost made me sort of, um, it, it kind of just adds tension to like, oh, what are they going to throw at us next? Which I can appreciate even if they don't necessarily capitalize on that in the same way uh, throughout the second half of the film, which is unfortunate, but it, like that one moment stands out to me so much as being like a pivotal moment of the film that it's a really great sort of zombie moment. I mean, considering how many zombie movies we get now all the time, it's like to do something that's genuinely shocking with zombies, I think is uh, pretty rare. And for this movie, that's more action than horror for a majority of it. I think that's pretty, uh, it's a pretty remarkable feat. But yeah, that's one of those instances too that I think is something that I didn't realize when I first saw the movie is that so much of it is practical. And I read that the reason that they chose to do that, obviously, because it looks better than CGI, but um, also they wanted to get more of a reaction from the actors. And that's something that really stands out to me uh, the more and more I watch the film in that while I don't necessarily know like that the performances are some of my favorites, I think that they feel very genuine. Like everybody's reaction to what's happening feels genuine. We don't necessarily have, like there's sprinklings of humor in there, right? Like we said, we've got that sort of East Coast shit talker who just like takes jabs at people throughout the movie. But at the same time, like everybody's performance feels very genuine. I don't feel that there's a ton of sort of like melodrama or the sort of over-exaggerated nature of the action doesn't necessarily apply to the characters. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, again, I, I did think the, the acting was... It wasn't great, but I, I would say they're actually pretty mellow um, compared to what I anticipated it being. Because uh, in some of these cases, or some of these movies, um, you get a lot of overacting and, oh, we gotta get out of here. You know, it's not. <laughs> but yeah. there, was, there was a sense of urgency throughout the whole movie. And it, but, you know, maybe the, I think the the corniest part was um, the most cliche, I think, moment was when they were torturing that the, the Nazi captain. And, you know, I said, oh, man, you got to stop. You got to let me do my job. Like, you know, but it was still playful. Like, I anticipated there was so few of those moments that when they did happen, it didn't detract you know it was still it added that level of entertainment without you know ruining the movie or, or taking or pulling away from the scene itself yeah i think that that scene is one that definitely stands out as being like the most kind of just what you would expect from one of these movies but at the same time the film is so fleeting in having a number of moments like that right i think there's one or two maybe moments like that in the entire movie it's almost two hours and i think having that restraint definitely is a positive in terms of just like the overall experience of the film. And I think, I do think that the film didn't need to be quite as long as it was, but at the same time, it sort of just shows that they were really committed to giving us a decent amount of action, having some more or less like cliched squad interaction moments, having that sort of like back and forth morality about like 
how are we if we treat our enemies like shit are we any better kind of thing but at the same time it does enough in this sort of like horror grindhouse action cocktail that it's really impressive to me that it never gets bogged down in any one particular influence that it has or any one particular sort of tone as it were like it really does feel and i think that's why the movie is so much fun to watch like you said it's kind of like you throw it on in the background or whatever and it's like entertaining enough and it is one of those movies that you could so easily bog it down in something that's very unnecessary to the point where you're just like okay we need to like speed this up but even for a movie that's almost two hours like this movie doesn't really drag that much other than sort of just in getting started i guess but um it is one of those movies that I think really handles that balance much better than a lot do because I just watched one recently that was on Netflix, a World War II horror movie called, um, I think it's called Ghosts of War, but it was one of those movies that it's like, it's only 90 minutes and it feels like it's a two hour movie, which I'm amazed that Overlord never really becomes. And that's sort of just a credit to the way that it's able to employ all of these various, uh, all these various influences. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize it was two hours. Um, I think it's like an hour and 50 or something like that, okay. but yeah. Yeah, and and a lot of these um, action movies, they tend to drag on a lot of montages of the characters getting ready to fight, uh, traveling montages, you know, and it, and you don't, I mean, you don't ever have those. I think there's one, there's one planning scene that, you know, they had underneath the bridge before, you know, they started their kind of, you know, descent onto the church or, you know, to infiltrate the church. And that was what a minute, two minutes where they're like, you do this, you guys do that. Can you handle this? Yes, I can. <laughs> let's fucking, let's go, let's get it. And everything was, you know, I mean, for the most part worked according to plan and I, I really appreciate that, that they didn't have, you know, all right, let's lay all our gear out on the table. Let's see how many bolts do you have? How many of that round do you have? And oh, I got 15. Six ammo checks. Yeah. And I was like, it was very concise. It was the whole movie kind of moved along and there's enough uh, break between slow and fast parts that the two hour runtime didn't, didn't notice. Yeah. And I think that, again, that kind of comes back to just how impactful I find a lot of the sort of action moments or the horror moments, right? I mean, there aren't necessarily a lot of shootouts, which is kind of rare for an action movie, right? You kind of have the one where Waffner escapes and that one's pretty brief when they kidnap the kid. And then they have sort of that grenade trap, which is awesome, where the Nazi gets blown up. And then they sort of have that brief shootout uh, with Tibbet and Rosenfeld in the woods. And there's only a couple instances like that in the movie, but I feel like each one of them is made memorable in some way. One, the guy gets shot in the face and then you see later like how awesome his zombie face looks and then sort of like obviously the grenade trap, you get to see this Nazi get blown to bits, but it's just very, I think it's a sign of a filmmaker that has a very kind of just distinct vision for what he wants each scene to the purpose of it, essentially like for Julius Avery to be very clear and like, I'm not going to give you six or seven scenes and none of them are memorable, really. It's kind of just like exactly what you would expect. And I think that having fewer scenes, but having each of them be memorable for something is something that sometimes eludes some action filmmakers or filmmakers that maybe have action sensibilities. Like there's only really two memorable zombie moments for me or maybe three where it's like the one that gets flamethrowered, obviously, because 
that's awesome. And then he kind of like has that bone stump that he tries to impale um, uh, Chloe with, which was like, again, one of the brief, uh, maybe like deviations from the traditional zombies or whatever. You have Chase's uh, transformation scene, which has that really creepy moment where his neck snaps back. And then you have like the brawl at the end between the gang of uh, the gang of zombies. But again, that's like two or three zombie moments and two and three, two or three action moments. And while I think I could have used more instances of the zombies, I feel like what we got was at least memorable for each instance. It didn't feel like just a throwaway, right? It's not kind of like a traditional zombie movie where you see a guy shoot like 70 zombies in the head or whatever, right? And by the time you get to the end of that movie, you're basically desensitized to it. It was like what you said. The film kind of picks its moments at opportune places to really capitalize on it to the degree that you're never necessarily desensitized to either like the impactful sort of like gritty shootouts or the sort of uh, zombie moments. Yeah, I would have... I mean- I would have liked more zombies since it was more uh, of a horror movie. And, you know, I, I do enjoy monsters. I like to see character design and how the directors um, kind of bring these monsters to life. But um, I think the one instance we got, or I guess, ten, you know, like you said, the three were between the captain and the 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 Nazi captain, the corporal, the Nazi captain, you know, I, I, when the, the captain's transformation moment, when he gets shot in the face and like he runs in and he shoots himself up with the one serum and the, the German doctor is like, the serum hasn't been tested and he shoots himself <laughs> up again, you know, and that was corny. And it was, you know, watching that transformation and you're like, this is going to be, this is going to be the final boss fight, you know, it, um, I saw that and I thought of, I instantly thought of Resident Evil, that he was going to come around the corner and just be this monstrosity of a soldier and, you know, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to kill him? Um, but yeah, it, you know, I, I 100% agree that more zombies would have been nice, but they, you know, he did less, he did more with less, I, I would say. Also, like early on in the film, I thought that, again, this was like the first time I saw the movie, I walked away and I was like, well, there wasn't nearly enough of the horror stuff that I really wanted from it. But then again, on each rewatch, I kind of appreciate the blending of the two uh, genre influences. But I remember thinking like that scene early on in the film when they're in the woods and they find those um, those like mutated skulls. And one of them's like, is that a dog? I instantly thought there were going to be like dog zombies in it like from Resident Evil or something like that and so I don't know sometimes during well during the course of watching this film I wonder like did they have to edit things out or did they have to did they film certain scenes and then realize they had to cut certain content because moments like that I felt like were a perfect setup for whether it's zombie dogs or zombie creatures of some sort that we never got and then also on this rewatch I noticed that um, Ford, who's like the sergeant that they think like beat up a captain or something, he has uh, a scar on his face that he shows Waffner at one point. That's the same emblem that's on Waffner's lighter. And so I, th- I can't help but feel like they cut some sort of like backstory out of the film with him because he, he like shows it to the camera and he shows it to Waffner, but then they never address it in the film. So I wouldn't be surprised, like, I think this every time I watch the movie, it's just like, it feels like 
they had more that they wanted to do, but maybe they had a production issue or something. I don't know. It just it's it comes off to me like that that it feels strange that there's less of the horror elements that we wanted when it was advertised as being that. Yeah, I don't, it's just something that like always bugs me when I watch the movie. But at the end of the day, I enjoy the blending of the two, even if maybe it could have gone more in a certain direction that uh, it never necessarily does. Right. And, I, and also, I think they're just running out of time, you know? Like, yeah. You know, two hours is, is two hours. And they're like, well, they had to make a decision. Like, do you want to use these horror scenes or do you want to use the action scenes? Like, what what will sell tickets? And I think that's kind of what it, it came down to. Like, what is the what is the resale value of of this movie? And is it, you know, will you have someone, how many more... Uh, Nazi zombie movies are you going to get? Or how many more of these action movies are you going to get? Well, probably a lot of each, but I think this action is more recyclable in it, you know, because at least for the same reason that I enjoyed it so much, is like you can you can put it on and, uh, you know, go about your day, whereas a horror movie, um, a movie instead of leaning so hard with the action, they leaned more with the horror. Um, you can't just kind of casually watch that. You know, you're either engaged in the movie or you're not. Um, and, you know, walking in the room, you know, you go down and do your laundry, come back up with the clothes and, you know, someone's getting their throat torn out. Kind of, it, it, it leaves a bad vibe, you know, for the day. But, you know, somehow it's more acceptable, more more tolerable to watch someone get shot in the head but you know whatever it, i uh i didn't notice that but you know next time i watch it I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it i think that what the movie does so well is that it's able to incorporate both of its influences in a way where kind of like you said if you're watching a horror movie certain moments only pop if the build-up to it has worked for you right has it been engaging throughout has it been building tension are you not losing interest or like, is the film not losing the momentum to build to that moment? Whereas I feel like this movie is very much, again, like it's a popcorn movie in a lot of ways, but it has that roller coaster effect, but the dips are never so low that you kind of, it kind of loses momentum. And I think that's important because every time it gets to one of those peaks and it's whether it's an action or a horror centric moment, the next dip is never long enough that you can really lose focus in it. So that way, when you have one of those moments, even if you have it on in the background or whatever, when those moments happen, they're just as impactful as if you'd been sitting there from the very beginning, or if maybe you got up to do something and come back, like those moments still hit in a way that I think make this movie very rewatchable in the sense that, yeah, it is action. And I don't, I would never, I try to uh, not use the term like mindless action or mindless fun type thing, but I think that it's just very much sort of like the pure essence of whether it be satisfying action or satisfying horror right it kind of touches upon those uh those primal elements of each respective genre and capitalizes on it in a way that um is just entertaining and fun and it's one of those movies that i wish i could see in the theaters again because i mean it's one of those things where it's like yeah every, you can feel sort of the energy in the theater where you have these awesome action moments and then all of a sudden there's this crazy zombie like trying to trying to rip your throat out or there's some corny one-liner where the sergeant is yelling at somebody and something that like. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, to the, to that kind of, uh, 
very consistent tone. Um, there aren't that many jump scares um, from what I remember. Um, one with the aunt, I think maybe a couple in the laboratory, but frankly, I think it was, it did not rely on jump scares. Um, just kind of seeing the nightmare that is the um, lab kind of allowed you to fill in the gaps on how gruesome it is without really relying on someone, you know, jumping out around the corner and, you know, scaring the shit out of you or something. Yeah, there also isn't like a lot of needless exposition, right? It's kind of just like very pure at what it is. It's like mm -hmm. you can derive enough of a backstory, enough of an explanation about what's happening just from like walking around that lab. We kind of, in those key moments where um, Boyce discovers like those sacks that have people in them and they're like leaking fluid and then the he severed head. And then obviously you get that demonstration from the Nazi doctor. You're able to just, it's very clear what is happening. And I think that the movie, the pacing that we've been talking about, like it would, def the dips would definitely be a lot more if we had to get exposition about just like, whoa, the reasons why this is happening and everything, right? It's kind of a very few key moments of dialogue. I think Waffner has that line where he says, um, a thousand year Reich need th needs thousand year soldiers or something to that extent. Yeah. But it's like just that one line, it's like, okay, you know the motivation and that's it. That's all you yeah. need. We didn't need this 10 minute uh, exposition dump about why they're doing it, how long they've been doing it type thing. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot of environmental storytelling, which I appreciate because a majority of the time, if you watch a movie that is trying to do too many things like this one does, it generally gets bogged down in the details when the details don't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. Like the reasoning why it doesn't matter. Like let's just get to either a shootout where Nazis are exploding or Nazi zombie moments of a zombie trying to rip somebody's head off because that's what people showed up for and that's what yeah. uh, we want to kind of get to. I don't want to hear. <clears throat> I don't want to hear a. a theological or ideological <laughs> monologue from this doctor. Right. I'm trying to make the perfect soldier for the fewer and like, mm -hmm. shut up, man. I don't just yeah. <laughs> show me your monsters right. and let's move on so we can kill them or whatever. And I think uh, for most of the movie, I, I did quite like when he was going in through the, those like, um, you know, the, the sacks with the people in them and you saw that tar pit, you know, there definitely was a question of like, how do those correlate? And it was, I think, I think the, whatever the, that Nazi captain's name was, um, it was, he like mentioned it, you know, half, uh, he's like, oh, this tar, this tar wouldn't work unless we discovered it had to be um, filtered through people, you know, and that's what they're using. It had to be, yeah, to that effect, had to be filtered through people. And, uh, that's all the explanation I need, you know, like, oh, why are those people? Oh, they're, they're filters to take out all the gross stuff to distill, you know, this, um, you know, essentially doing, <clears throat> essentially doing like plasma infusions, um, but, you know, making the serum. So the few, they, they offered exposition, but it was really concise. You knew exactly, you know, they said, this tar, we put it in these people and then we take the juice out. That's it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I think moments like that really get mis misconstrued as being like lazy or simplistic, but it depends the type of movie we're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to have those sort of like long winded moral 
philosophical arguments about like war and all these things, that's what a movie like Saving Private Ryan is for, right? That's where it's about like the human experience and condition in war times. That's not what Overlord is about. So when, while they do things simplistically and very concisely, that's what this type of movie calls for, right? Because mm-hmm. if you start trying to have these like serious discussions in a movie that takes itself just seriously enough that it's not slapstick comedy to a certain degree, like it's that type of moment is going to be very out of place because then you start comparing this very serious moment to people blind firing and taking out headshots and stuff. And then you've got obviously the living dead. And so I think it's just a very, it's a concise film and it's one that really realizes the type of movie it is and it knows the tone that it's going for. And it really capitalizes on that throughout the entire movie. And that's, again, it's very rare. I find that um, a lot of times just in terms of like how inundated we are with zombie movies and especially like alternative history in terms of blending history, uh, historical fiction with horror movies. I find that they try to do this like moral hand wringing that they do in traditional war movies, which is fine in those movies. But then when you try to incorporate this super serious tone into something that can have serious moments, the entire film is not super serious, right? Cause you have, mm-hmm. there's a certain uh, suspension of disbelief in what's happening. And at the end of the day, if there's something supernatural happening, this is not the best sort of format to be making this like political statement all the time. Right. Um, right. So um, that's just an element to this film that I really appreciate with every rewatch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's no, you know, there's no political commentary. They do have that, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't even call it a moral dilemma where there's like, do we save the kid or do we, you know, blow up the tower and leave? Well, obviously they're going to save the kid. You know, that's just it. They had the discussion for, you know, they had that argument just to build tension between it or to, to have some character development for boys. Um, but for the most part, we knew they're going to go after the kid. We knew they were going to blow up the tower. One of the f- three of them, you know, we knew boys wasn't going to die. And one of the three of them were going to die to self-sacrifice, you know, like it's formulaic anticipate what was happening and the the entertainment value isn't the surprises or like oh what are they going to do next it was more of how are they going to do this um you know there's going to be a shootout how's the shootout going to go there's going to be monsters what are the monsters going to look like you know there's going to be human experimentation how are they going to you know how are they going to do it so and stayed in their lane was very self was very self-aware yeah it kind of just has the kind of just predictable character arcs or the sort of predictable structure enough just to keep the plot on the rails and keep things moving in a direction that is familiar but then like you said it's more about them doing these very traditional moments in ways that are surprising or shocking or just a really cool blending of like action and horror which I think for the most part, it really succeeds at doing it. It makes for a film that I can't really compare it to a lot of other films. Obviously, there have been other World War II horror films, but I feel like this one really excels in both categories, even if, again, I don't think we necessarily get enough of the horror elements that I would like. But at the same time, what's done, I think, even if it's not the most inspired in terms of the zombies, it still looks really good. Whether it's the shootouts or, again, the attention to the zombies and the sort of like creature design that they have and the action. I feel like everything is done to a caliber that is almost surprising given how 
sort of just like pulpy the movie sounds it's like oh we're gonna combine the two of the most highest uh, sought after genres it's like world war ii movies and zombies but the caliber to which the execution is out on both of those genre influences is really of the quality that i think surprises people it's one of those movies that so long as you have your expectations in check for like what it actually is and what it sets out to do I mean, this is a film that I think is does not get enough credit for what it does, even if it seems familiar from the outside. Like, it's of a caliber that I think eludes a lot of these um, sort of like historical fiction uh, horror films. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't know what I didn't really have much of an expectation for it uh, with the title Overlord. Um, I don't I, I don't think the title really matches the movie itself because um, they don't get you know, the, I didn't really see any sort of overlord character, um, any, any character or any sort of concept that would fit an overlord title. Um, I don't know if there was something that I missed or. Uh, so overlord is like the code name for the invasion of D-Day. Okay. So that's like, it's basically just like referring to the, um, the parameter like that was it was called operation overlord for like dropping paratroopers behind enemy lines okay and then they were to take out like gun batteries and communications and stuff before the d-day landing but i mean the film is so self-contained in terms of like yeah uh ford mentions like we have to ensure we'd knock out the communications for the boys on the beach or whatever but at the end of the day it's very self-contained it's not kind of thinking about the larger ramifications necessarily all the time obviously mm-hmm. we get those periodic reminders but a lot of it is him sort of just like we got to get to that church basement that's just like him grunting that yeah uh, periodically throughout the film but yeah i mean overall i think that it it uses the world war ii setting it feels justified mm-hmm. right at least it seems like it's a plausible scenario it doesn't feel like they were like well let's just kind of combine this setting that a lot of people like to try to get more eyes on this it kind of feels justified in that World War II setting and sort of, if you were going to do a historical fiction film about zombies, this one actually like feels somewhat plausible, right? The kind of trajectory of this narrative, uh, plausible in the sense that like, if you were to have a supernatural element, it kind of makes sense for this type of story. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, if uh, they could have, another zombie route would be, you know, some form of necromancy where it became a cult and it was, you know, magic was involved. And I think if, if that's how it went, I think it would just would have made the movie terrible. I mean, it, it, this is, uh, I think the, the science and the equipment and the lab was, I think time, you know, for, for the setting, for the time period, I think it was accurate. Um, and of course, you know, the techniques used and using that World War II setting, he used that effectively and he matched it. It wasn't like, again, they didn't use magic or it wasn't some sort of alien, you know, secret hyper technology. Like for instance, like the Avengers, you know, will take a, you know, um, Hydra, you know, they had alien influence hyper technology. I was just, it was silly. I mean, it's a Marvel movie. (laughs) Um, So, of course, you you, uh, anticipate some level of, you know, absurdity. But 
here, you know, it's it's a guy, you know, they, the experiments match the time. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that because I actually just watched another um, World War II Nazi zombie movie recently that goes the other route. It goes the occult route and this guy that like has magic and he's a necromancer Nazi and it's, it gives the movie, like it's difficult to take the movie seriously because it's so over the top in that regard. Obviously, it's a zombie film, but at the same time, like I get what you mean and I think that had Overlord, like Overlord's presentation of the supernatural at least is presented in a way that feels believable if it were, you know what I mean? Like it's not this sort of like magic. It's more so we've concocted some kind of chemical through experimentation in these things where it's like, at least that's using the vernacular of what you know in real life is historically accurate. Obviously we never quite got to the point where the Nazis developed uh, zombie technology, but at least the presentation of the absurd doesn't feel absurd. And I think that, again, that kind of is about them finding this tone and really sticking with it. Because if they had this sort of like overt magic moment where he's like Waffner's casting spells and all this shit, it would just kind of undo a lot of the atmosphere in the film. And again, it's not a super serious movie, but it would feel absurd. It wouldn't feel exaggerated. It would feel literally like absurd to the point where I think it would be pretty distracting, probably. It, it would it would ruin the the continuity of the film if he gained some sort of over the top superpower or um some over the top mutation um and to the effect of you know magic and necromancy it wouldn't matter if he did you know if the nazi um nazi wizard let's just say was in world war ii or if it was the time period wouldn't matter if it was with magic you know they could just do it whenever and so it would seem redundant to say this is a World War II Nazi or historical fiction. He could just be a fiction and it just happens to be Nazis um, being the most palatable villain. Um, but I think if you took if you took this premise, uh, if you took the story and then moved it out of that time period, I don't think it would have I don't think it would have held it's weight, you know. I, I think it would have been um, a far different movie. Maybe not even as as fluid as it is. I think something about it, um, they all very cohesive and it, and it works together really nice. Um, there was another zombie. I watched this movie way back uh, called Dead Snow. Um, have you you've seen that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's another zombie. That's what I thought this movie was going to be like when you said Nazi zombies. Um, but I'm kind of glad it wasn't because this was oddly refreshing that it wasn't, it was familiar, but new at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, I enjoyed dead snow one and two. It's just that those are very like the comedy influence of those movies or the comedy, uh, aspect of those movies lends itself to the absurd when you have that Nazi necromancer, right? Cause it's this idea that it's very laughable, that concept, but it works for that movie because that movie has the, the comedy element blended with the horror element. Whereas with this, the humor that's in this movie, Overlord, feels like you it's humor that is not that would not be removed from like a standard World War II action movie. So it actually feels very fitting without making what's happening laughable. I don't know, my one of my things with like a lot of horror comedy movies that uh, makes them not, probably not my favorite subgenre of horror is just that they have a tendency to lay, to lean too much into the comedy versus the horror. Whereas something like Dead Snow is a perfect balance of the two. 
this movie I would never say is like a comedy, but at the same time, it does have humor in it that's used like very appropriately. So it it doesn't take away from anything. It if anything, it heightens the one genre influence uh, that it is mostly apparent in. And I think that that's an element of the film that works really well. And I mean, that's mostly thanks to uh, to the East Coast shit talker Tibbet, um, who is kind of like that character that facilitates that. But his character isn't a standout for being humor uh, focused because that is the trope that his character would have in any World War II action movie. So it doesn't feel distracting. If anything, it enhances that sort of like squad mentality and squad banter in a way that, again, it makes this movie fun from start to finish, whether it be World War II traditional action, the horror moments, or some of the humor between like the squad banter and whatnot. But in uh, sort of wrapping up, were there any moments that really stood out to you that I kind of glossed over? Um, no, not, not really. There was, uh, well, there's Rosenthal's character, um, who I, and it, this might, you know, now that you mentioned that they might've done a lot of editing, um, and affected people's backstories and everything, he doesn't, um, nothing really happens to him. You know, they find him in, you know, he's, he's strapped down with the, with a feeding tube, essentially, um, and then they pull him out, and then, you know, over the course of the 12, you know, 24 hours that the final sequence happens, he's better. Like, he doesn't, there's no infection, there's no continuous bleeding. Like, I mean, he's running around firing a high caliber weapon almost immediately, you know? Like, he had a, a hole in his gut, and uh, nothing really happens, you know? Um, I know Chloe said that she's a vet, but like I've had stitches before and stitches don't heal <laughs> that quickly. You, you're not so, firing a, uh, an M, uh, MG 42 at Nazis yeah. soon after that. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> he, he pretty much jumps straight into battle, uh, without any repercussions. So I, you know, outside of kind of plot holes that, you know, maybe are unavoidable. Uh, I think Rosenthal that his his recovery kind of stood out to me the most. I wish that his relationship with Boyce had been developed more because mm -hmm. they obviously in the very beginning of the film you learn that they were like boot camp buddies essentially and then Boyce rescues him and there's like this bond between them but then those two don't interact for like the next 20 minutes of the movie and it's Tibbet and Rosenfeld instead of Boyce and I think that could have been a missed opportunity just to give more emotional weight to the characters, right? Even if it is this very sort of like pulpy action horror movie that's a mixture of the two, I still would have liked a little more emotional weight there. And just in terms of like wanting, caring for a character more than just being like, okay, we know one person's going to sacrifice himself for the greater good. Like you said, that kind of like very stereotypical character arc that certain that are in these types of movies. Um, so in that regard, I think I would have, I would have liked almost more of a focus on their relationship rather than this sort of like implied uh, romance between Chloe and Boyce. I would, cause it's like, if it's going to be so action focused heavy, I would almost rather, if we're going to have these characters, I would rather see like this relationship. If you're going to bring it up and then never talk about it again versus this thing that is implied, but, or it's like an implied attraction, but then that never becomes a focal point either. You know what I mean? And I don't know. One of them seems like it's more sort of just 
stereotypical of what you would expect more so than the other one. Um, but I don't know. That was just me. That, yeah, I had question not not so much the specifics and how long they've known each other and how many campaigns they've gone on each other, but just some deeper interaction between um, boys and boys and because they seem to be best friends. Uh, they seem to be pretty tight, but they never they never interact outside of saving him, and then uh, you know when they go into battle or you know when they raid the the lab you know i was kind of anticipating you know rosenthal being the guy who sacrifices himself and then you know this big campy over-the-top um vengeance scene but what we got i think was pretty good you know you had that character development of um ford and you know saving everyone shooting himself up or whatever so you know yeah, again, I mean, every I feel like at every moment when this film could let you down in some regard, it's either it either exceeds your expectation or it's perfectly passable, mm-hmm. right? Again, like commenting on those two things, at no point do either one of those really it's it's kind of like a wish list thing, right? It's not yeah. really like, oh, these were detractors. Yeah, it d- doesn't impede anything and it's not like overall it's like, oh, well that was really bad. It's just like, well, that was either passable or it was exactly what I expected it to be. And I think, mm-hmm. again, with a movie like this that from the outside looks so familiar, I'm just kind of taken with the level of polish on certain on so many different elements, right? It's a film that is very easy to fuck up, I think, just because it tries mm-hmm. to do so many things. But at the end of the day, it's either average at exceeding uh, expectations or it surpasses them in terms of like the action and the horror bit. So, yeah, mm-hmm. this is definitely a movie I... Uh, I enjoyed revisiting, and I'm I'm glad it sounds like you enjoyed your first viewing of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, man, this was a a ton of fun to talk about this movie that I really don't think gets enough love. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and chat, Overlord, with yeah. me. Yeah, thanks for recommending it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service, and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.